Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, thank you, George. Thanks, everybody, for being here, especially our guests. We're very thankful for your presence. Uh, as George mentioned, today I'm beginning a sermon series on Christianity and culture, just kind of the schedule for the next month or so. Next week, David Bryant, the headmaster at Providence Classical Christian School, is preaching. And then on uh, August 7th, 14th, and 21st, I'm going to continue this series on Christianity and culture. And I think I'm going to go on into September, probably Labor Day weekend, and then maybe a couple more sermons at the end of September. So this is, uh, this is a, a huge thing for me. This is, is something that is heavy on my heart um, because what this is about is where we are as a culture and how it affects us as Christians and how we should respond as Christians. And I have a tremendous burden for, for you guys, for this church, especially for young people. And I really want to, to be helpful, and so I'm hoping that this series on Christianity and culture will help us to think about what's happening in the world today and how it affects us as Christians, how it affects the way that we think and the way we believe. So this morning, we're going to be thinking about the culture. Uh, there are actually four points to my sermon today. We may have a slide on that. So I'm just going to go through these. These four points is why this series, and we'll talk about to expose darkness and to get wisdom. Uh, We'll talk, number two is going to be the current culture, and I want to show how it's all related. You may not see the relation, but it really is all related. Number three is how we should respond. We should respond with wisdom and self-examination. And then finally, I want to talk about hope for the future, okay? So first, why this series? Let me start by first saying why I am not preaching this series. I'm not preaching this series to have a pep rally and get all fired up about how great we are as Christians and how everybody else is terrible, okay? That's not why I'm doing this. I'm not here to say homosexuals, bad. Transgender people, bad. Liberals, bad. CNN, bad. Although CNN is terrible, right? But that, that's not why I'm preaching the series. Um, also, just as a reminder, we're, we're called by God to love our neighbors. We're even called to love our enemies, So we're commanded by the Lord to care and care for people even when they hate us, even when they consider us to be enemies. We're not to respond in hate, we're to respond in love. In fact, recently I was watching, there's an old interview from 2015, it was an interview with Bruce Jenner, it was his last interview where he identified as Bruce with Diane Sawyer, and and my heart broke for him because he said this, he said, I was a very lonely little boy, he said, I'm still a lonely big boy. He says, I don't socialize a lot. I've never fit in. He said, when you deal with this issue, you don't fit in. You know what? That breaks my heart. Anytime I see people who are hurting, who feel like they they don't fit in, that is so sad to me. So my heart breaks for folks like that. So again, I just want to stress that I'm not up here to bash people and our church is not here to bash people. So that's not why I'm doing this series. Why am I doing this sermon series? Well, here's one reason. It is to expose the darkness, okay? So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, if you have your Bibles. Ephesians 5, actually, Pastor George talked about this last week, so again, I'm kind of following his lead. 
But the, the reason I'm preaching this series, one of them is I want to expose the darkness, to, to shine the light of God's truth into the darkness, into the darkness, and you'll see this, into the darkness of the culture and into the darkness of our own hearts, all right? So this is Ephesians 5, let's, let's start in verse uh, 8, and I just want to briefly look at this as a sort of a launching point for the sermon. This is Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8. And Paul writes this, he said, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Verse 10, notice he says this, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's about wisdom. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then verse 11, this is what I want us to think about. Paul says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So we're told here by Paul, by the Lord through Paul, to expose the darkness. He says, don't take part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose it. And the culture we live in is very dark. There is a darkness all around us in this culture. We live in a culture that celebrates wickedness. We live in a culture of chaos that is not pleasing to the Lord. This culture does not rejoice in the light of Jesus Christ, right? So we live in a culture that's very dark. And right here, as I said, Paul says, God through Paul says, don't take, don't take part in the darkness. Instead, the way we're to respond is to expose the darkness, expose the unfruitful works of darkness. So that's one of the reasons for this sermon series on Christianity and culture is to expose the darkness because this this deceptive and dark culture influences us so we need to shine the light of God's truth into the darkness now here's the troubling part I've already alluded to it some for us as Christians the darkness is not just out there in the culture the darkness is in our own hearts as well okay so there's a lot of darkness in our own hearts. And so in this sermon series, as I said, I not only want to expose the darkness of the culture, but to shine the light of Christ into the darkness of our own hearts. And to think about where we're believing lies from the culture, because there are lies that we believe from the culture and we don't even realize it. Okay, so that's one of the reasons why I'm preaching this series, to expose the darkness. I'm also preaching this series for us to get wisdom to get wisdom. I want us to gain wisdom. I want us to have a better understanding of the culture that we live in. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 10. We just read it. George just read it for us. But look at Matthew chapter 10. This is our corporate reading for today. This is where Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. And what I love so much about Jesus' words here in Matthew 10 is I'm convinced that this is where the church is right now. Because in this passage, Jesus tells his followers, he says, you're going to suffer persecution, you're going to suffer trials, you're going to be mocked, you're going to be embarrassed, all these things. Well, that's where we are in a culture right now as, as Christians. So I really just want us to look at just one verse, and it was the first verse that George read. This is Matthew 10, verse 16, and this is really our call this morning. Okay? And this is another reason why I'm preaching this series. Matthew 10, verse 16. And I would encourage you again to read all of Matthew 10 and spend some time just asking the Lord prayerfully to reveal to you the fact that this is where we are as the church. 
So this is Matthew 10, verse 16. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So Jesus says, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. He said, you're not going to be welcome in this culture. You're sheep among wolves. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to suffer. As I said, this is where we are in the church. And then Jesus gives us this explicit instruction in verse 16. He says we're to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. And that's why I'm preaching this series, for us to be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. In fact, that's the title of the sermon today, Wise as Serpents, Innocent as Doves. We need to be wise. We need to understand what's going on in the culture. We need to shine a light in the darkness. We need to have wisdom. So really what I believe is we need to do the hard work of understanding the culture and understanding how it influences us. We need to be as wise as serpents. But that's not all. He also says we're to be as innocent as doves. In other words, we're to be holy. And part of being holy as a believer is being loving. I've already talked about that. So we're not to repay hatred with hatred. We must be people who are loving and caring. And you know what? That is, I've talked with friends about that. That is a wonderful apologetic or proof for the Christian faith. When they see Christians being loving and caring about one another, all the fighting and bickering that goes on in this culture, when you come into a place where people genuinely love each other, that is evidence of the truth. Okay? So that is a beautiful picture. So we're called to be loving, especially to one another, but also to those outside the church. Now, we're going to have to stand firm, right? We must remain faithful to the Lord. That's why I told the Morris kids, when you're baptized, you got to remain faithful for the rest of your life. There's no turning back. So we're going to have to remain faithful. We're going to have to be tough because we have to remain committed to God and his word. We can't back down from our commitment to Christ. But in doing this, we also must be as innocent as doves. Okay, so I want us to be wise I want us to be faithful to the Lord. I want us to grow in holiness. And as we seek to gain wisdom, I want, this is just me personally, and I hope it's your heart as a church as well, I want to lovingly challenge our non-Christian friends who may have dismissed Christianity out of hand. That's another reason why I want to do this this series. One of my goals as a preacher is to speak to non-Christians And to try to remove barriers to faith. When I was an agnostic, there were a lot of barriers to faith. And so to the extent I can, I want to see if we can remove some of those barriers to faith in Jesus Christ. All right? I want to do that with wisdom. So number one, why the series? To expose the darkness, to get wisdom. Number two, the current culture. It's all related. That's what I want to talk about now. The current culture. So I want to talk about this. As I said, we need to understand the culture we live in. So briefly, I want to spend some time thinking about the current culture. And, and also, I'm going to talk about the modern church. And what I hope to show you is that the things happening in the culture and in the church, they may sound like they're unrelated, but in fact, they all spring from the same sort of ideas, okay? Uh, and, and it's not just the obvious things in our culture that are wrong and lies. It also has a tr- huge impact on the church. So let's think about the current culture. This is Proverbs 14.12. Proverbs 14.12, and I think this is a good description of our culture. Yeah, we've got it up there. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Our culture is on the path to death, to self-destruction. 
If, you're, if you've ever read history, you can actually look at Greek empire, Roman empire, a number of empires. They go down the same path that we're on. It's the same path to self-destruction. So this is the path that we're on. But the things that people believe today, they seem right to them. They seem so right. But the end is death. We live in a post-Christian, anti-Christian culture, especially in the area of sexuality. And if you are committed to what God says about sexuality, then you're going to be considered ridiculous in our culture. You may even be considered dangerous. So you're often, you often hear Christians being called homophobe or transphobe or whatever, called names if you don't adopt the thinking of the culture because it seems so right to everybody, so obvious and self-evident. But this is a culture that we live in. As I said, there's a culture that celebrates homosexuality and transgender ideology. ideology. Uh, most, most of you have heard about Leah Thomas, this, this college swimmer uh, for the University of Pennsylvania. This guy is allowed to compete against women because he identifies as a woman. He has male private parts, but he's allowed to compete against women. He's allowed to change in the women's locker room. He, and many of the female swimmers have spoken anonymously, obviously, about the trauma they've experienced about this guy being in there. But in our culture, their feelings don't matter. Instead, his feelings are the ones that matter. His feelings trump everybody else. So that's why he's treated as a hero. I saw recently the University of Pennsylvania nominated Thomas as the NCAA Woman of the Year. Okay, So this is the culture that we live in today. How about this? Endless entertainment. See if this hits home for some of us. Endless entertainment, endless amusement. Often we're by ourselves doing this. Television, endless and mindless internet surfing, thousands of hours playing video games, massive amounts of time on Facebook, endless scrolling on Instagram, TikTok. It's called social media, but most of the time we're by ourselves, right? It's not very social. Uh, it's about self, about likes and followers and all that. This endless and mindless amusement. Again, this is our culture. How about this? Cancel culture. The lack of free speech, especially on college campuses. It used to be that college campuses were the place where you debated ideas, where you had discussions, open discussions. Not anymore. If you have a Christian worldview, your speech is shut down. You're not allowed to talk. It's only an anti-Christian worldview that is allowed to speak. If you speak from a biblical perspective, you're mocked, you're canceled, people try to ruin your lives. So in our culture, again, we have this acceptance of homosexuality and transgenderism, endless amusement, cancel culture, lack of free speech, all that. Now I'm going to address how the culture, how all of this affects the church. As I said, the section of this sermon is called The Current Culture, It's All Related. Our culture affects the church in many ways, but just a couple of examples, and I'm not trying to throw people under the bus. I'm just saying this is the way that that a culture has accepted us. One is no-fault divorce has been accepted by and large by the church. I'm not saying there's never a time for divorce. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that no-fault divorce has been just accepted completely by the church. That's one. How about this? Modern church services, modern church worship services. I often say that most church services today look more like a concert and a TED Talk, right? In most churches, the songs usually consist of expressions of emotions, and that's it. 
Now, there's nothing wrong with emotion when you're worshiping God. I love getting emotional when I worship the Lord. That's, that's, I think that's true worship. But when all the songs in a worship service sound like a love song to somebody's girlfriend, that's a problem, right? That's a problem. When it's all emotion and it's no doctrine, when it's no biblical teaching, when that happens, you get a very weak church. And that's what we have today. Also, when sermons sound more like therapy, when they sound more like self-help sessions, TED Talks, when there's basically no focus on the deep truths of the faith, when there's almost no focus on the person of Jesus Christ or his atoning work on the cross or his bodily resurrection from the grave, when there's little doctrine, lots of emotion, lots of therapy, how can I feel better, right? How can I get richer? How can I be happy? When that's the focus, you got a problem, and it leads to a weak church. And again, that's where we are today. So, and as I was thinking about this when we were baptizing the kids this morning, it shouldn't surprise us that kids are leaving the faith in droves when this is the church is this weak. When the church has abandoned the deep truths of the faith, it shouldn't surprise us. Now, for decades, young people have been leaving the church in droves because we've, we've the way we've tried to deal with all the church, and especially young people, is basically therapy and entertainment. And you know what? You don't make disciples. You don't create disciples with therapy and entertainment. So as I said, it's no wonder the young people are leaving the church. And this is a huge burden for me because we have got to fight for the souls of our kids. We've got to fight for the souls of our kids. And the way we fight for our kids, as I said, is to expose the darkness to gain wisdom, and to renew our commitment to to teach the deep truths of the faith. This is how we fight for the souls of our kids. All right, back to the culture. All these things I've just mentioned, as I said, celebration of homosexuality and transgender stuff, endless amusement, cancel culture, current state of the church, this focus on therapy and entertainment and emotions, all these things are connected. They're all connected. They may look different, But they're all coming from the same root. And when you dig down deep and you start thinking about the way people believe and what they think, you realize they do come from the same root. So what is the root? What is the common belief that drives all of this? I'm going to develop this a lot more in the future sermons. I'm going to talk a lot about this belief of the culture. But I'm just going to touch on it briefly this morning. The common theme to all these things is this. Part of it is obviously our understanding of God, but I think it begins with our understanding of self. And the modern understanding of self is this. Who I am, my true identity, the real me, all these things is, are what goes on inside my head. The psychological self. Who I am, my identity is, is, is the psychological self. What goes on inside my mind. Now, this may sound like, well, of course that's the true me. Well, that shows you how much the culture has influenced you, right? Because in the past, our identity was more outward directed. And it often involved relationships. So who am I? It wouldn't be what goes on inside my head. It's who am I? I'm created by God. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. As me, I am the son of Raj and Jenny. I'm the husband of Andy. See how it's outward directed? The way I think of myself is relationship. I'm the father of Walker, Nate, Drew, and Shelby. I'm a pastor of Walton Community Church. It's not just my desires and beliefs. It's about relationships. I'm 
a, a Georgian or a Texan, right? <laughs> I'm an American. It has to do with place outside of me. So oftentimes when people would think about themselves, they thought about outward directed. In the Bible, you see this. How do people identify, how are people identified in the Bible? It's like David, the son of Jesse, right? From the tribe of Judah. Or Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's not Paul, my sexual desires. It's outward directed. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. How about Jesus? Jesus of Nazareth, right? It's a connection to a place or to people. James, the son of Alphaeus, all these things. It's outward directed. So in the past, identity was more outward focused. Also in the past, responsibility was more important and commitment was more important. And this all, again, is outward directed, responsibility and commitment. In a secular way, I don't know if you've heard of Jordan Peterson, but Jordan Peterson has talked about this, about, about the need for responsibility. And think about the outward directions here. The need for getting a job, being responsible as a family member. And as I said, if you think about it, responsibility is outward directed. It's not just about my inward desires. So I have responsibility as what? As a son, I have responsibility to my parents. As a husband to my wife. As a father to my kids. As an employee to my company. As an American to my country. It's outward directed. So when we think of responsibility, it's more outward. But nowadays, think about this. Nowadays, you hear more about rights, right? So you got responsibility and rights. What are rights directed at? It's me. It's inward directed. I hear a lot more talk about rights than I do responsibilities. Because rights are inward directed. I have my rights. I have the right to do this. So as I said, in the past, it was more outward directed in their identity, relationships, responsibilities. But now, identity is more inward focused. So today, when we think of identity, we think of who I really am. It consists almost entirely of my thoughts, my feelings, my desires. That's who I am. That's what it means to be human in the culture today. And you can be whatever you want to be, right? Even your body is not, doesn't limit you. You can be whatever you want to be because your thoughts and feelings and desires determine all that. And everybody must affirm that as well. That's another aspect of this. So my thoughts, desires, my feelings, my happiness, also these have first priority. These have first priority. So the self has priority over everything else. So if my family wants me to do something or I have responsibility as a spouse or a parent or whatever, oftentimes my desires take precedence over that. And oftentimes we, people are applauded for that because that's the real you, right? If my, what if my desires tell me to do something? but my family responsibilities tell me to do something else. What am I supposed to do, do nowadays? I follow my dreams. I follow my desires. That's the real me. Or what about this? What if God tells me to do something, but my desires tell me to do something else? Which do I follow? I follow my desires. And oftentimes, this is why you can see that in our culture, God is viewed as a grumpy tyrant, right? As a, as a mean tyrant who stands opposed to my freedom. Because my desires have priority. Myself has priority over everything else. So again, everything is inward directed. Now here's how this is so deceptive. Because I'm guessing that most of us kind of think, well, again, well, myself and my desires should have first priority. We think I should be encouraged to seek my own happiness above all else. That's, we have a tendency 
to think like this. Now, in one way, this is not new. In one way, what we're experiencing in the culture is not new. The very nature of sin is to please self, right? In fact, the, the Hebrew word for iniquity is avon. And avon means curved or twisted or bent, okay? So it's the opposite of upright. You know, if someone's walking in an upright manner, morally upright, that means they're living a life of righteousness. But if someone is twisted, we'd say somebody has a twisted mind or crooked, you know, that means that they are not walking in an upright manner. That means they're engaged in iniquity, bent, curved. We used to use the word uh, crooked a lot. I don't hear it a lot. We used to hear about like a crooked politician or a crooked businessman. In fact, I was watching Forrest Gump recently, again, and, uh, and the doctor says this. He says, Mrs. Gump, your son's back is as crooked as a politician. And I thought, yeah, I used to hear about crooked politicians, right? We used to talk like that. Well, that's the Hebrew word for iniquity, crooked, twisted, bent. And the curvature of everything is toward ourselves, right? The curving, the bending is toward ourselves, Everything must please me. Every person is meant to please me. God even is my cosmic bellboy to give me what I want, right? I'm not to serve him. He is to give me what I want. So we have this bent toward pleasing ourselves. So in this way, the whole culture, I mean, the whole thing about wanting to satisfy my desires, it's not new. But what is new in our culture, it's taken it to a new level. So now, as I said, our desires are even our identity. It's not just something we want, it's who we are. That's what we see with the LGBTQ plus stuff. It's, it's my identity. Sexual desires are not just something you have. No, that's who you are. That's why a person will identify as lesbian or gay or transgender or whatever. Because the, our, our desires now, that's me. That's, that's the real me. That's my identity. So this whole psychological self, this whole inward focus, seeking happiness above all self... This affects all of us the way, in the way that we think because it sounds right. The idea that the most important thing is to fulfill my desires, for me to be happy, this is first priority, it seems right to us. Why is it that so many Christians don't even try to fight against lust? Because it's pleasing to them and it's pleasurable and it's happiness, right? Because that takes first priority. So a lot of Christians don't even fight for purity because pleasure is more important than obedience. I've heard this. I've heard Christian parents, and they're even talking about their adult kids who are lost, but they'll say, I just want my kids to be happy. Really? <laughs> like happiness is the most important thing in the life? How about, how about loving Jesus? How about eternal life? How about salvation? Should that matter, or is it just their happiness? All right? So do you see how this, this way of thinking affects us as Christians? Happiness, pleasure, doing what you want to do, following your own desires. That's the ultimate priority in our culture, and it affects the church. It affects us. Okay, so that's, that's point number two, and we'll talk about it more in, in future sermons. The current culture, it's all related. It's all related and it affects us. All right, that brings me to point number three, and it's this. How should we respond? How should the church respond? How should we as Christians respond? And I'm saying we should respond with wisdom and self-examination. So first, we've talked about wisdom, the need to understand. I want us to understand the way people think. Uh, here's an important goal I have for our church, really. I want us to understand the culture better than the culture understands itself. 
That's what I want for us, for us to understand the culture better than the culture understands itself. So we need wisdom for that. We also need self-examination. We need to examine our own thoughts and beliefs and desires. We need to shine a light into the darkness, into the darkness of our own minds, and think about the way we believe. As I said, there are lies that we are believing, and we don't even realize it. We have these unexamined thoughts and beliefs and we don't even think about why we're believing them. So we need to do this hard work of this. I would say this. Sometimes there's a tendency for us to think this is irrelevant. This doesn't matter to me. Or this is too complicated and I can't do this. I would ask you not to think like that. Don't, don't think like that. Um, Proverbs 2 and Proverbs 4. I would encourage you to spend time in the book of Proverbs. Especially those chapters. This is Proverbs 4.7. I love it. And it just says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. <laughs> the beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. I love that. In other words, what it's saying is that the first step toward being wise is just taking the initiative to try to get wisdom. So you can do this. You can do this. And what I've seen in my own life is there's a huge payoff for this because you start seeing connections around you. And you also start seeing, thinking about the own desires in your own heart. And I've helped, it helps me, by having this wisdom, it helps me grow in holiness because you see the deceitfulness of your own heart, okay? Also, God promises in his word that he will give wisdom to his people if they seek it. This is Proverbs 2.6, and it says, yeah, we got it, Proverbs 2.6, for the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. So in Proverbs 2, it says, if you seek wisdom, God will give you wisdom. He promises to do that. So take hold of that promise. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that Christ Jesus is our wisdom. He's wisdom personified. So if you're a follower of Christ, you belong to him, you have him, that means you have wisdom. And he will give you, through the working of the Holy Spirit, he will give you wisdom. Okay? So we need to be as wise as serpents. And as God's people, we, as we get this wisdom from the Lord, it allows us to do a number of things. As I said, it allows us to understand the culture, and it allows us to grow in holiness. Back to this thing about being innocent as doves. Okay? So that's what I want for us, wisdom and self-examination. All right. So here's point four. This is the final one, hope for the future. Hope for the future. In the Bible, I've talked about this before, in the Bible, hope is, is not a doubtful thing. Hope is confidence. Hope is confidence. Hope is a confident expectation that the Lord will accomplish his purposes. And so to my brothers and sisters in Christ, I would say this. Don't think this culture can overwhelm you. You were made for such a time as this. God has sovereignly ordained you to live in this time right now, right here, right now. Our, our sovereign God, I think it's in Acts 17, Paul's talking, I think it's Acts 17, Paul's talking to Mars Hill, Areopagus, and he, got, he says God appoints everyone for when they're going to live and where they're going to live, boundaries of where they're going to live. God has sovereignly appointed us to live in this time right now. So we don't need to be fearful. We can be confident because God has ordained us to live right now. Also, Jesus, obviously, Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in majesty. He's sovereignly ruling over every inch of this universe. It all belongs to him. And nothing can happen outside of his sovereign will. And he loves us, right? He loves us. And all that should give us hope as followers of Jesus Christ. 
To our non-Christian friends, remember I said I wanted to talk to my non-Christian friends. There's also hope for you, but before I give you the reason for hope, I'm going to challenge you to engage in some self-examination. I've asked my fellow Christians to engage in self-examination. And so for my non-Christian friends, you guys also need to engage in some self-examination. So think about this. I've, I've talked about this belief, about we have this belief that my highest priority is self-fulfillment, to be happy, to follow my heart, to go after my desires, all that. But I would ask my non-Christian friends this. Think about this. Have you ever gone after something that you desired, you wanted it, you pursued it, and you got it? And initially you were excited about it, but then you found out that the thing that you were pursuing did not satisfy It did not bring you the contentment you thought it would bring. Because the world tells you if you had more money or a better job or fame or a beautiful person to love you or if you were better looking or if you traveled or if you changed this or that or whatever, the world tells you that if that happened, then you're going to be fulfilled. But it's a lie. It's an absolute lie. None of these things bring satisfaction. They don't give contentment. They don't bring peace to our souls. And even worse, we find that a lot of things we're pursuing actually make us miserable. Actually, they're dehumanizing. They're terrible for our souls. So I'm asking my non-Christian friends, just even in your own experience, don't you realize that we don't really know what's good for us? We don't know what we we need to, to strengthen our souls We don't really know what's good for us in the end. If we're being honest, the Bible talks about this all the time, if we're being honest, our hearts and our desires deceive us. So I'll ask, again, my non-Christian friends, is it possible, is it possible that there is a God who made you, and because he made you, because he created your soul, that he actually knows you better than you know yourself? Is it possible that there's a God loves you, And he knows you, and because he knows you so well, he knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for the flourishing of your soul. Is that even possible? Actually, it is possible. It's true. And this is why there's hope. There is a restlessness in us that can only be fulfilled by God, by being in a relationship with Jesus Christ, his son. I can tell you personally, when I was in high school, I thought, man, I just need to get out away from my parents and then I'll be happy. I go off to college. I was doing everything I wanted to do. I was not content. I was not happy. Then I, and I thought, well, it's because I'm broke. Once I get some money, I'll start traveling. So I got a job, started traveling. I was less, I was even more miserable. I was less content. At some point, I began to think, maybe I don't know what's best for me. Maybe I should start looking around because I found that the things of the world did not give me contentment. There is a restlessness in us that can only be satisfied with Jesus Christ because this is what we're made for. We're made to know God and to be known by him. Stuff can't satisfy. Other people can't satisfy. Only God can satisfy our souls. And he's the only one who can give rest to our restless souls. As Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O God. I'm going to be completely candid with you here. I'm speaking to my non-Christian friends. Listen, if there is no God, then life is meaningless. I'm telling you. You can pretend that there's meaning, but there isn't. If there's no God, then life is meaningless. 
But here's the truth. Life has meaning. Because the God who created you, the God who created your soul, and that's how I know God loves you, because he created your soul. There was a time when your soul did not exist, and now it exists. And he created you out of the, out of the overflow of his love. So there's a God who loves you, he created you, and he made you to be in a personal relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. As I said, you were made by God and you were made for God. And see, this is the thing. That's who you are. That's your identity. That's the real you. Your identity is not your desires, not even your sexual desires. That's not your identity. Your identity is this. You were made by God and for him. For Jesus Christ, as we're learning from the Heidelberg Catechism, this is our identity, that I belong body and soul and life and death, not to myself. I don't even belong to myself. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who I am. That is my identity, that I belong to Christ. That's the real me. So as a church, I would say this, as a church, we need to be reminded of this constantly, right? Because the world is telling us something different. We need to be reminded of the truth constantly. And that's why, it's one of the reasons why we're starting this weekly Sunday school in a couple of weeks. It's why we're going to start using the New City Catechism on a regular basis. I want to ask you to think about it. We want everyone, not just parents and kids, we want everyone to make efforts to memorize the catechism. We're using the kids' version, so they're real short, they're real easy. But we're doing all this so we can grow in our knowledge for the Lord, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And again, reminding ourselves who we really are are. So I'm going to wrap up. Remember, we are sheep among wolves. And as followers of Jesus, we must be people who are as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Again, we want to understand the culture better than the culture understands itself. We want to grow in wisdom in the battle against the culture and the battle against our own sin, our own self-centeredness. And to do this, we must be people who are committed to believing God and his word. And that's why I want to end this sermon by just thinking about what God says. Okay, just what God says about us and about him. And I'm going to make very few comments. I'm just going to allow the Lord to speak through his word. So this is the truth. I think we have the slides up here. This is the first couple. Ephesians 2.10. This is who we are. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, this is who we are. This is our identity. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's what I told the kids over here. New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That means your true identity as a follower of Jesus, you're a new creation. Live into that. Believe it. Live like it. That's what we're called to do. That's our true identity. How about 1 John 4, 19? We love not respond in hate. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29. And I'm praying some unbeliever hears this right now. I pray you hear Jesus' voice. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Satisfaction and rest cannot come from the things of this world. True rest for your soul can only come through Jesus Christ. So give your life to him and find rest for your souls. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.
Father and our God, we love you and praise you. Lord, thank you that you have given us your word. You show us who we truly are. You show us our real identity. Not the garbage that the world tells us we are. Not our desires and deceitful hearts. You have told us who we are. You made us and you made us for yourself. Jesus, you're glorious and awesome. You're the only place we can find rest for our souls. I pray pray we would hear that. I pray for both Christians and non-Christians in here. That we would hear that and non-Christians would turn in faith to you, Jesus, and find true rest and satisfaction for your souls. And Lord, help us be a church, please. Please, Lord, help us be a church committed to your truth in things like Sunday school and catechism and saying scripture together. That's why we say your word, Lord, so much in our service together because we want your word to be driven down deep in our hearts to transform us. So we praise you and love you. I thank you for the folks here today. I pray for everyone here, for folks who have not given their lives to you. I pray for them, Lord, Holy Spirit. I pray even now you'd go upon them. For my brothers and sisters who are suffering, and I know there are some who are suffering terribly right now. I'm thinking of some. I pray that you would minister to them and comfort them. My heart breaks for them. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for caring about us. You're so gracious. Help us to be faithful and committed to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.